Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMM, and welcome to the MMM Podcast for the week of September 13th, 2021. Nearly every facet of marketing is taking a much greater interest in diversity, equity, and inclusion. When it comes to a comprehensive approach to DEI, however, progress has been slow in the health sector. One problem is that many companies, regardless of whether they've actually set any minority hiring goals, don't actually know how to attract diverse candidates. This week on the podcast, what's worked and what hasn't with respect to finding diverse marketing talent. Joining me to discuss this are Jasmine Anthony, an HR generalist for the agency Closer Look, along with Crystal Gamola, who spearheads talent and culture for the agency Fingerpaint. Crystal and Jasmine, welcome to the MMM podcast. Thanks for having us today. Absolutely. Back to the interview in a moment for some housekeeping items. MMM's Convene Crossover, Taking Control of the Cookie Crisis, is a virtual event slated for Wednesday, September 22nd. I'll be moderating a panel that explores the expected impact of the retirement of third-party tracking cookies on brands in the pharma sector. You can register on the webcast page of our website, mmm-online.com. And coming up the following day, September 23rd, is MMNM's DEI Deciphered. We're convening a range of stakeholders in a unique roundtable format to explore how industry can affect progress. Register online at dei-deciphered.com. And finally, join us live or in person the evening of October 7. The choice is yours for the venerable MMNM Awards ceremony taking place downtown at our traditional venue, Cipriani Wall Street. We have an amazing evening in store. Register for that one online at mmm-awards.com. Okay, back to the interview with Crystal and Jasmine. This is the third in our quarterly series spotlighting how agencies from the membership of the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame are progressing along the journey to diversity, equity, inclusion. Today, we're talking specifically about broadening and diversifying the pipeline of candidates. Let's begin with some context setting. Crystal, can you share some of the reasons why healthcare is still playing catch up here? And how does the dearth of diverse marketing talent affect the work of healthcare communications? Absolutely. So I think it's common, you know, out there knowledge that the scarcity of talent in our space is one of our biggest obstacles, specifically within the pharmaceutical marketing. The products we market need to effectively reach many diverse backgrounds, but not having that diversity of talent within the agency can truly make it a difficult uh, to approach these topics with a wide lens. Uh, therefore, it's, for us, it's really important and valuable to ensure we have diversity throughout our veins. Great. And that uh, is reflected in the work itself, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where if you don't have diversity within a diverse brand, you truly can't understand that brand. You need that talent and that background really to help market to those audiences. Um, I was just kind of doing some research and, and Forbes had written an article last year about why the lack of cultural intelligence and in marketing is such a challenge. Uh, and the reality is you just can't truly understand your audience if you don't have people who represent that audience in the marketing space. Um, there's uh, some data that shows that 66% of African-Americans and 53% of Latino and Hispanic Americans feel that their ethnicity is portrayed stereotypically in advertisements. So I think we need to really focus on finding people that truly understand and are, are part of these diverse groups to accurately uh, portray. Sure. And that, that is all the more important in the healthcare area. When you think about uh, young people coming out of advertising programs, you know, they're faced with the choice of working on a CPG brand like, I don't know, Oreo cookies, or on behalf of a pharmaceutical that perhaps extends the lives of cancer patients. Jasmine, has that purposefulness helped health recruit? And is it any easier or harder to raise awareness of the field within minority communities? Well, when I think of 
um, kind of the whole more fun brands to work on versus a healthcare marketing, more serious type thing. Um, I think it has likely hurt. Um, I know back in the day during my college days, the focus for healthcare and healthcare marketing wasn't necessarily the hottest thing to focus on in, in school or as you were getting your degree. But things have evolved. And I think, um, you know, with more programs and more degree type focused things in health and marketing, it kind of allows the, the candidate pool to diversify and to be able to recruit folks, um, you know, of all different types of backgrounds. Sure. How much more aware would you say are, are young people of healthcare communications as a career option than they perhaps used to be? More aware, I will definitely say that. I think it would help if we're able to start even earlier, going into those high schools and teaching those students that post high school, as you go into college, you know, those programs are available. So I think the more we educate ourselves in the community, um, the more um, ap- applicants that we have from a diverse background that can come into our, um, our industry. I'll just pause here for a moment just to, to give a quick state of the industry in terms of diversity. Uh, you know, successfully changing the marketing industry is an incredibly long road. The C-suites at WPP, Omnicom, IPG, Publicis, and Dentsu were between 82% and 85% white, according to a 2020 report from the Association of National Advertisers. And the ANA also found that only 3% of 870 chief marketing officers were black, 5% were Asian, and 4% were Hispanic. We've seen a handful of hires, but some lament that the industry is not seeing a real influx of people of color. Rather, it's merely trading the same handful of folks from one agency to the next. And that applies to all levels, from entry level to mid and C-suite. So efforts to improve it will take nothing less than an unprecedented level of cooperation. Jasmine, when recruiting people with non-traditional backgrounds, what are some of the need-to-knows and what is Closer Look doing to recruit more young people to its workforce? What we're doing, again, educating ourselves, um, you know, we'll see backgrounds that may not have a pharma or a digital marketing um, experience. So it's all about taking a look at what's coming in the door. I think, um, especially um, even for our internship program, that the student or the candidates that come through that program may have no idea what pharma, biopharma or um, healthcare marketing is. So taking a look at, you know, the experience they're bringing in, um, as well as the mid-level and the senior level folks that, again, may not have the specific background that tails our our industry. Um, And, you know, looking to see what other skill sets are available, pull in more diverse talent into our agencies and and across our industry. What are some of the academic degrees that you look at, look for, excuse me, that may not have been within the traditional purview of a recruiter? Um, Off the top of my head, um, I think about even an engineering background. The first thing that you think of as an engineer may not be biopharma or coming into an advertising or digital marketing agency. So, um, you know, really looking at the work experience that um, one have had um, as far as internships or even professional experience um, to see, again, how they may can cross and be able to come into our industry with that engineering degree. Sure, sure. Crystal, can, can you talk about how finger pain is also broadening its own recruiting lens? You know, just on that note, I would even challenge this in a way and say, no need for college degree backgrounds in some positions. Now, some roles, we absolutely need the technical uh, edu- education that, you know, to, to, to lend for that position. 
but in others, you know, looking at some of these just transferable skills, these innate qualities, these other experiences of life that could have gotten that individual, that candidate to where they are today that could bring something to the table for us. You know, I think we as a company, we as an industry needs to look broader and not be so pigeonholed or not so, so specific in the needs. You know, our hiring managers, when we have our intake meetings, like, of course, if we want it, they want to paint us, the, the, the need is they want someone with a pharmaceutical background or they've worked at such and such company. You know, I think that is the ideal situation. But in this very, very difficult market we're working on in, I think we need to be much more flexible and understanding if we want to diversify our population. You know, I also think we need to create and invest programs to help bring in people from non-traditional pharma backgrounds to really help you know, get, get them and, and get them the mentorship, the training, the understanding of our business, you know, and I understand this is a big ask because it's a huge investment from a leadership perspective. But if we're thinking about different ways to kind of just, just turn that needle or push that needle a little further, we need to just be a little bit strategic and creative in our approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about specific strategies. Crystal, can you tell us about how finger paint is helping recruit more at the entry, the mid or the senior level? Yes. So I will just start off by saying we are early to the stages of our diversity and inclusion um, strategies. And we have recently brought on a head of people and culture, uh, Gerilyn, and she has been doing wonders with diversifying and coming up with different ideas along with myself and the the rest of the people and culture team. You know, so there are things that we are working towards, you know, such as creating teaching programs, you know, focusing on advertising through more targeted channels. So really exploring different marketing channels and outlets specific to diversity groups and networks. You know, there really isn't, as you mentioned, there really isn't enough exposure of what we do within uh, the ethnic minority groups. And whether it's getting in front of that at the early stages of of college recruitment um, or even beyond. So, you know, it's we've been really looking at, too, just from, um, you know, diverse schools and introducing people to our community or our industry, I should say. You know, it's also reaching out to our employee population and finding out what groups they belong to. You know, we have a really great employee referral program that brings in a significant amount of hires per year. I, I wouldn't say, I want to say almost 30, I think it's 36% of our hires have come from employee referrals, which is it's just a substantial. But I think it's important to, if we're talking about an industry that is predominantly Caucasian and we want to, you know, diversify that, I think from an employee referral standpoint, we need to look at those that are of diverse backgrounds and maybe speak to them in more depth about different networks, different organizations, different groups that they might belong to. So again, really focusing into our employee population, leaning into our employee population and seeing um, what other uh, areas are out there. Right. I think that's, that's smart that, you know, a lot of the minority people are not going to be necessarily coming through those referral programs. So you're needing to broaden your lens. Um, Diversity is an issue at all levels, of course. Jasmine, is it safe to assume that opening up the pipeline to candidates at the entry level will eventually lead to more diversity in the senior ranks, or do agencies need to deliberately recruit there as well? I'm hopeful, um, you know, that we 
bring entry-level talent in and train them up to one day become, you know, an executive leader. But I do also think that it's very important that we hire, you know, from the mid-level up, you know, we don't necessarily, all people of color don't have to come into our agencies as an entry-level candidate. I think um, that's unfair, (laughs) quite frankly, and why do that? So I do think we have a long way to go when it comes to diversifying our talent um, and bringing in folks, not just at the entry level point, but at the mid-level and those senior level period points. Just to add to that, you know, I think the more people we see at that mid and senior level leadership positions, the stronger naturally, I think that pool will just increase. You know, I remember when I first started here at Fingerpaint, I had someone, an intern, at one of our companies reach out or one of our offices, excuse me, reach out to me. And she, she put time on my calendar and this was like day two. And she said, I really wanted to speak with you because, uh, you know, you are an Asian woman who is, you know, you're, you, you, you got this job to run our recruiting team. And she said, you know, I'm early on in my career, but I'm inspired by you because seeing someone of, um, a minority, in a leadership position uh, just was something that was very, uh, you know, kind of eye-opening for her. And uh, she would, she kind of just continue kind of keep in touch with me. And she really wanted to um, make sure I knew that. So that was a really great feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, keep, keeping the office door open, I'm, I'm sure really means a lot, you know, for, for people. Uh, and we'll talk about more, you know, culture building and how to foster diverse talent in a moment. Um, you know, Jasmine, can, can you talk about the strategies that you're using to recruit on campus? Yeah, so um, we have our internship program that we uh, really go after um, students to bring them in um, and even uh, recent grads, but, um, you know, more so those senior level candidates that are finishing up and wanting to come into the industry. Kind of to Crystal's point, um, really had a, a key point in focusing on employer referrals, um, especially for the entry, entry level talent, but also um, going out to those historic, historically black colleges. Um, there are a few actually surprisingly during my research that focus specifically within pharmaceutical science um, that I'm excited to see if how many candidates we can get out of those types of programs um, within those HBCUs. But um, I would say word of mouth, employee referrals, and those HBCU um, recruits are a big focus of ours. And um, Crystal, what kind of relationships does uh, Fingerpain have with individual schools? So we recently, it's just a caveat, I actually started with Fingerpain just uh, late last year. So in the very, sh- I guess we're approaching a year almost, we've uh, built out our, empl- our, our college recruiting program. And we do have a list of schools that we've worked Maybe some of the recruiters have worked previously in their careers. There are not a lot of schools that have pharmaceutical advertising programs. Um, so Jasmine, I, I would love to kind of pick your brain on that a little bit more on, on the research that you've done. But there are schools out there that we have worked with historically that have great you know, candidates that have some experience. Um, St. Joe's University is one of them. They have a pharmaceutical advertising program specifically. They've produced some really great students. Um, Uh, in the past. And I think it's important to kind of look not just in, I think if on the topic of diversity and and looking at the different schools, you know, it's really getting into the schools, but maybe even taking it one step and getting into the different programs or the different um, groups, the diverse groups within the school to get in front of and talk about who we are and um, the pharmaceutical space. 
And uh, Jasmine, you uh, told me earlier that uh, Closer Look sponsored a seat in the one school uh, for people of yep. color. Can you talk about that a bit? So um, we are a corporate sponsor of the one school. Um, and just to kind of give a lay of the land, uh, the one school is a free online portfolio school um, dedicated to black creatives um, to help them build their portfolios and gain experience uh, to get go ahead and get out there in the real world. It was established by uh, the One Club for Creativity, which again was to increase the the visibility of Black creatives out there. So the One School is a 16-week program, and a mentee is paired with a mentor um, within our, the agency network. They're provided two briefs um, to go through, one provided by the One School and one provided by the agency. And the goal is for the mentor to walk the mentee through the briefs, um, highlighting everything from, from copywriting to art direction, but really have them understand what it's like to be a Black creative in our industry. So Closer Look served as mentors to a handful of mentees um, through the one school um, to kind of serve as a, um, you know, another stepping point. And um, Crystal, uh, can you tell us about Finger Paint's work with the MVP program? Yes, so MVP is Momentum and Value for People of Color, a nonprofit organization that just actually started this past year. They had their inaugural year and they are a um, nonprofit who create, who helps to create equity and access to young people of color. Uh, they provide mentorship alongside in industry introductions. MVP really helps give young people of color a chance to have these opportunities in the, the marketing space. Uh, this year we brought on an intern and they were presented to us from MVP. Uh, we've also worked with them on just kind of helping them this inaugural year and some of their different events that they hosted. But essentially MVP really helps prepare their, uh, their students uh, through the interview training, resume buildings, they help place them for internships. I know that there's several people at Finger Paint who have um, taken on mentorship responsibilities for the MVP program. Okay, great. And I heard they're, they're, you told me they were so successful that they didn't have enough positions for the number of interns they had who stepped forward, right? Oh my goodness. It's, it's very impressive. They they had so many companies that were interested to work with them uh, and uh, not enough interns, but I know they are something that they're just going to get ready for next year. I think it's a good, I think it's a good problem. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now I, I promised that we'd come back to uh, culture building. Um, once you start integrating the workplace more, Crystal, can you talk about how your organization accommodates people of color um, and, you know, people of uh, all, you know, eth ethnic uh, minorities? So, we are rolling out uh, business groups, and I think it's really important to kind of that companies, you know, have these resource groups uh, throughout the organization. And when these groups kind of allow us to foster a diverse and inclusive workplace, um, there are groups that are typically organized around a particular shared background, interest, issues. And so I think we are, this is something that we're, we're, we're going to be working on this year. People We'll have other like-minded people or other people that they can share ideas with in a, um, you know, feel very comfortable and engaged and accepted. Sure. Yeah. Um, Jasmine, any uh, thoughts on, on that in terms of making the, the, the closer look workplace uh, more accommodating uh, for uh, people of color? Absolutely. So we have uh, currently seven, six or seven um, employee resource groups that we've rolled out over some time now. Um, and the 
goal, I think, you know, for everyone coming into the agency and for those starting up those groups um, is to be able to create clusters of folks that are, again, like-minded. Um, but we also have an allyship group that kind of, what I like to say, bridge the gap between all of the groups, um, as well as our Closer We group to serve as allies for our agency. So um, our employee resource groups, um, we also have quarterly candid conversations to highlight, you know, maybe tough conversations. And it is very, it's educational, um, but also a way for folks to look into our communities to see, you know, our struggles and our feelings and our thoughts. We have a handful of training courses that we do to be able to take the agency through non-people of color to understand our struggle um, and know, you know, how to handle certain situations when they present themselves. Sure. It's, it's not an easy conversation to have, is it? Um, so I'm sure all those kinds of efforts help people to feel more comfortable. Um, just, you know, Jasmine, staying with you for another moment, has the pandemic and, and the reopening of the job market, um, you know, there's been a lot written about how that's uh, made recruiting efforts easier in some sense because it's widened your geographic reach, you know, now uh, with work, work from home. Would you say that, it, that it, your job has become easier in the past year or harder? Yeah, so I would say um, for our recruiting team, it I would imagine, I don't recruit for our team outside of our uh, internship program, but uh, we do have two great recruiters here at Closer Look. The pandemic has allowed us to hire across the board. So currently we are in about uh, 19 or 20 different states across the U.S. So we've been able to focus outside of the Chicagoland area and bring diverse talent in from all, all across the, the U.S. Just the pandemic in itself have, have allowed people to kind of take a step back and really think about what it is that they want to do in life um, and, you know, make those transitions, um, which allows us to, again, recruit some of those um, backgrounds that may not fit you know, within our industry. So it's allowed us to really take a look at, um, you know, the skill sets and things. Um, of course, we do have those roles that without question have to have a certain background, but we also are able to broaden it and take a look at people that may not have our specific background. Sure. And Krista, would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's as a someone who's from the recruiting team, it's insane. I've been pharma recruiting for my entire career and to see what we're going through now has been in, in just insane with salaries, counteroffers, uh, candidates accepting and then declining. But I will say one of the good things that have come out of COVID is just kind of going off what Jasmine said is the ability for remote. You know, if you look at our offices, finger paint previously uh, were in Let's talk about Saratoga Springs, for example. It's not a very diverse population there. And by now being able to go remote and hire people across the country, we've now been able to increase our diversity and hire from people from various areas of the country. Um, and that will go lend well for different uh, offices that we work with as well. So I definitely think that um, while it's been a very difficult uh, year to recruit, it's also provided us some flexibility in ways to look at candidates that we once weren't able to look at. Paying a greater attention to DEI is a first step, and it's really encouraging to hear the steps you've both taken. Let me just finish off by asking each of you, where or how do you plan to evolve your recruiting in the months ahead? And what's one big challenge that remains in diversifying the marketing workforce? Crystal, how about we stay with you on this one? 
there's so much to be done. You know, I think, as I mentioned, we're early stages here and we, we have goals that we want to, to meet, you know, and the reality is if we don't kind of diversify our hiring, you know, we won't ever be able to, you know, think more broadly and think more, um, uh, open mind again through that wide wide lens. So as we kind of continue through this year, I think it's really focusing on those initiatives that we're working on. You know, maybe it's educating our employees a little more. It's creating some of these focus groups. It's connecting with our employee population and their their networks. Um, it's getting more involved in colleges and their uh, diversity programs or diverse groups that they might offer. So we definitely have a, a long way to go, but I think we're in the right direction. It's a multifactorial approach. Jasmine, how, how about you? Yeah, kind of everything Crystal uh, just listed, um, continuing to strengthen our, part, our existing partnerships with our external partners, taking a look at those schools, um, you know, diversifying it, not just with HBCUs, historically black colleges, but other colleges that, you know, may serve for our, our employee population, partnering with our colleagues at Fishwife Health. Um, they've been doing some amazing work in the DEI space. So I'm excited in partnership with the, the ERGs here at Closer Look, partner with them um, so that we can come together and continue to build greater things within this space. So a lot of good work to be done um, and that has been done, but you know we have a lot more to do as well. Sure, sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, among agencies, most of whom define themselves by their cultures and talent differences, this kind of information normally would rise to the level of a state secret. So I want to thank you both, uh, Jasmine and Crystal, for speaking so candidly with me today. Thank you for having, having us. Thank you. Sure, sure. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's it for this week's show. I want to thank Crystal and Jasmine again for joining us. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM podcast is produced by Deborah Stoll, Gordon Failer, and Bradley Weems. We're out every week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.